Well, there's still no word from Mr. Zach Many on whether or not he can come on and debate Canada about pinball, as if the man doesn't do a pinball podcast every single week. Uh, but on this episode, we are going to talk to the Black Knight. It's been a very long time. He's been a man who's been around pinball for many, many years, and he was really looking forward to Elvira. So we will get his thoughts on that game on this episode. And I just want to say before I air the episode, look, it's way too early to call this game a hit, to call it a miss. All I've been saying about this game is the information we have right now is very simple. The game is super, super expensive. The game isn't complete. And the game is going to end up in customer homes in which it is very incomplete. And I don't know why we continue to say we're not allowed to think that that's not appropriate. Now, here's the thing. It's your money. It's not mine. If you want to go all in on an LE or a signature edition of Elvira or even a premium one and spend premium prices on an incomplete game that might take a year or two to be finished, that's your business. It's not mine, but I will not, as a pinball podcaster, think that that is the way companies should sell you a product. Why is it? Why is it so hard for all of us as a community just to get together and say, hey, look, we're not going to buy your product until it's done. Right? It's just so simple. Would you buy a car with three wheels? Would you buy a video game in which the final level isn't coded yet, and yet people threw money hand over fist? And, and my final point is just this. And, you know, Zach has not said anything that he's like, you're wrong on 26 different things. I'm like, well, name one thing I'm wrong on. He's, I, don't, I don't know. Haven't heard one thing from him. But here's, here's the thing. If you pay this kind of money for these games, they're not going to make the games better. They're going to feel like, well, we just did enough. I mean, if all they do to charge $5,000 more is a few hundred dollars in upgrades, why would they ever approach the game differently and put more mechanical magic into these games? You're not. You're going to keep getting products that have less and less. Now, look, I hear the stuff coming down the line from Stern is going to wow us. We always hear that. I look forward to it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love what Stern Pinball does because without them, the whole industry would collapse. We all know that. Stern is like the Titanic. Everyone else is just a lifeboat on side, you know, on side inside the Titanic. If that thing goes down, everyone's collapsing with it. All right. Let's air this interview. It's a little over an hour. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I think the Black Knight brings a very interesting perspective to this hobby. So without further ado, let's do this thing. It's been way too long. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been too long since we've had the Black Knight, Christopher. Thompson on the show. Black Knight, welcome back. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate the offer. I don't know if this is, I can't remember, maybe this is like the sixth or seventh interview that we've had in there in your podcast lifetime, but it's, I'll give kudos to you and respect to you, what I call staying the path. I've obviously met a lot of people over the years in the terms of this hobby and as creative as it is, and I have to say I would I'm pleasantly surprised that you are still going because a lot of people, they don't, you know, they don't stick it out. Right. They burn out. Well, so, we're, we're on episode like 400 and yeah. four or five right now. 
I haven't ke- I haven't kept up. I I'll have to admit it. So I'm I've fallen behind with my listening. You know, with your show, unfortunately. You so. could be stranded at this point on a on a desert island and listen to this show now for over a year and still not catch up. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, so, you definitely you definitely hammer home quite a few episodes. I get you know some of the feedback from some of my other you know pinball buddies per se, but. Like I said, kudos to you for staying the path. Because like I said, a lot of people, it's not that they just burn out. It's just, you know, it's some people, it's kind of a temporary, you know, hobby type of thing. And, and you seem to be, you know, around it for the long haul. So good to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this podcast to infinity and beyond. So, so Chris, let's talk about, let's start with Elvira, because I know that you sure. were excited to see the new I Elvira was. game. And so what are your thoughts? What, like, what have you seen on the game and how do you feel? Well, about it? I mean, I, I initially, obviously I, I did a little research before cause I, I took a little break here from pinball again and I was traveling and living abroad like I periodically do. And you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Dennis Nordman. And his designs, I, I think he's one of the better designers in pinball history that even, you know, encapsulates like, you know, people will say Steve Ritchie is, you know, one of the greatest designers. I think personally, Dennis Nordman has better flow in his designs of his games overall than, you know, the only person that can kind of touch him is Pat Lawyer. But after looking at all that material that I currently see on Elvira Free, I'm kind of disappointed. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I was hoping for more, and I can tell you why. Oh yeah, well, I mean, that's the the follow up question: is what about it has you disappointed? Well, initially, some of the design elements, looking at comparison to not only his games but, of course, games of the past, is. It does have a lot of similarities with Scared Stiff, but but unfortunately, it seems a little bit watered down. Yeah, there are a lot of nifty little features in subways and stuff like that that, you know, Stern hasn't exclusively used in other games. But, you know, the up the center shot with the house, even though it does rotations and, you know, flip ups with, you know, figures and so on. But a lot of it is is still kind of a wash and repeat from some of your other games. Although um, I, I don't see it as being in a unique standout, you know. In comparison, and I know you were kind of a, a, a fan for a while. I really enjoyed Willy Wonka. I think they did a great job from the standpoint of gameplay flow when Pat Lawyer did that game. So, I, like I said, overall the package itself coupled. I mean, artwork aside, too, which I wasn't particularly impressed overall on, I think it did its job, but it wasn't a standout. It just didn't scream Elvira from my perspective. It doesn't just it doesn't show off what she's known for. And if you if people that are Elvira fans, you know, there's a tone that comes with her games and you they're, you know, unmistakable. So when you play Elvira and the Party Monsters or you play Scared Stiff, it just emanates from the game. And I don't get that same feeling right. with Elvira 3. So the, the way they're doing the game, it, it, it's sort of more of a journey through the, the B-movies that she used to host on right. her show. Absolutely. Do, do you feel there's too much of the movies and not, a, not as much of her that you would like to see? Correct. 
that that is the that is the catch all, and it hasn't to do with the the artwork per se. It has to do with the tone. It's like the the theme is there, but it's not focused on the main character, which is why Elvira was so successful in her original game, and then they just accentuated that with Scared Stiff. And the other thing is when you look at games like Scared Stiff, and I'm not trying to be a Bally Williams snob from the 90s and try to say that, you know, new games can't be equal or in terms of quality to older games, which is clearly untrue because, once again, I was impressed with Willy Wonka. I think he pulled a lot out with that. It's too much of more simpler designs of the recent past from Stern, and I wouldn't spend money on it. I just want okay, to- so I definitely want to talk about Willy Wonka, you know, in this show. So, but let, let's stick on Elvira for a minute. So, when you say the game itself sure. feels like you're seeing recycled stuff in the game, like what do you mean by that? Like recycled stuff by Stern? Well, yeah. Well, I, I, it reminds me when I when I see the shots from Stern, it. Re- it's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy with the Groot shot up the middle. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but you know, it, it, the easiest design that you can do in pinball is to make some center shot a la Medieval Madness-esque type thing, which focuses all your attention like you have on the house in Elvira 3, and then do something with it where it rotates or something flips up or gates move or, you know, cause like you said, you know, you think about the, the flip up ramp design, which of course was emanating all the way back from whirlwind. I mean, right. so once again, when I see repeated features, I'm kind of critical when it comes to pinball innovation, because I've been unfortunately extremely disappointed overall with pinball, I don't think that it has moved particularly forward in regards to, I mean, it's adopted obviously some new technology like, you know, modern LCD displays and, and also some of the features in terms of coding and development and so on and so on. But as far as actual designed features that are included within the game, I haven't seen anything that's revolutionary. And I was hoping that they might, you know, pull another rabbit out of their hat. I mean, they right. companies have done a good job, but this just isn't it. I, now, I'm not saying it's a flop. Don't get me wrong. I just but don't. but let me ask you a question because but Dennis Nordman designed this, not Stern. True, but that doesn't. He once again, I have no idea. It doesn't seem like based on the design that his hands were tied either. So I I don't know why he went in the direction he did with with some of the repetition of features from Stern. I don't know. I, like I said, I don't know if Stern management had a part to play and kind of said, Hey, we, you know, we, you can't go completely crazy here. This is what we're looking for in regards to use with the IP and adapt it accordingly. I, I can't tell you that. I haven't spoken to him personally in a long time. Right. Um, and I'm sure he would give a candid opinion if he ever ends up getting an interview, which would be a phenomenal interview for your show if you can get him. He's a very friendly guy. Yeah, I mean, I um, I asked a nice him. Nice guy. You know, it's interesting because he's now exclusively 
with Deep Root, but it was interesting to see him right. on the stream. It's almost like he was on loan from Deep Root to be at yep. Stern for a day. Did you notice well, his his demeanor? I mean, it's, Dennis's demeanor is always a little bit sort of. I, I always I, this is what I told he's, someone. It's he's like reserved at certain points when it comes to um, the public. I mean, he he you know he's private. He he he's he's jovial, but he's but he's still somewhat private, and he doesn't you know he's he's not always basically going to give his you know fair shake pure opinion. Right. For public consumption, he's just not going to do that. Particularly when he's working for other companies, because he's not stupid. I mean, he has weathered the storm like many other designers who want work. <laughs> if you want to get paid and you want work, that means you can't piss off your employer, right? So, right. But but what was interesting about the stream was there's Dennis on kind of on loan from Deep Root to be at Stern. He's not going to tell us like what changes Stern made to his design that he might not have been happy about, even though it, no. it did yeah, I mean, feel Steve like Richie did the same thing, but he was usually more vocal in the past. He just not so much. Right. But it, it did feel like Dennis was a little bit disappointed a little bit. Yes, he was. In some and of he the stuff that he saw them change. Exactly. Which is my once again. I can't tell you to what extent Stern did, but I know that they influenced the changes. They changed the ramps, which are yep. just these like straight, like boring, simpler designs. That's the key. Right. So let's talk about the price of this game, because I, I, I keep getting slammed by people for harping on this. But this is also a, a, a super expensive pen. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you want the LE or the signature, you're talking about like 9,600 all the way up to 15,000. Do, yep. do you feel like when you see this stuff, Chris, that as long as people keep buying in to this arbitrary rarity game that's starting to I think playing, it's hilarious. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, like what are your thoughts on it? I Well, I remember I've watched the ebb and flow of, of costs, you know, of pinball for over 30. 30 years now so i mean it it's pretty funny today because of course with the boutique world of the pinball that we are today i think a lot of hardcore collectors i i I was telling somebody else today i haven't talked pinball really with anybody else in in significance for well over a year and i had somebody local that was asking me a bunch of questions because i'm actually looking at purchasing another ted zell zipper flipper pin that i didn't have somebody offered me local opportunities which happened fairly frequently um but a lot of times i you know pass because i don't need any more games in my house or in storage and and i said well you know unfortunately i don't know it I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but I think it's it it, it can be disappointing. I I, I don't know. It, maybe you want to rephrase the question. Well, I, I guess the thing that you know I've been saying is, look, it's if you're good, if people are going to run in and hand ninety six hundred or fifteen grand without even seeing the game played, it's it's really the root of why these companies won't give us more because they don't need to. Like, why well, would Stern give you better ramps and better mechs when you're going to buy it anyway? The, the niche market, the thing is, is at the size that we're currently in with pinball, I think a lot of hardcore collectors 
sometimes make the the hobby out to be more than it truly is. Um, as it, it it's extremely what do you mean by that? Niche. What do you mean by that? It, the size, the number of collectors overall, it's a it remains a very niche hobby, right. and and as a result, you know, it's not that these companies are always purely catering to the rich, you know, older collector exactly. They're just trying to sell a thousand units of a particular game at whatever price based on the IP licensing costs that came with it. And then they move on. And honestly, I I can't f- possibly fathom, in my opinion, why anybody would buy a $15,000 Olvira 3 based on what I have seen with the design, regardless of the art package and what's provided, and regardless of how good the code might be in the future, um, because there's just so many better games out there, particularly those that are used. Right. I mean, why would you buy a fifteen thousand Elvira three when you can get a, a near perfect scared stiff for, you know, less? Well, half roughly the price. half, right. half the price, and so, it's a better solid game. Within the Elvira universe, do do you yeah. think that this third game, being made in twenty nineteen, right? It's it is a I little frustrating, right? You think like twenty? Yeah, it's a little disheartening. I think right, it's twenty twenty five years later, there's less in it. And that's a common theme, though, that you look at based on any type of sequels that you see in pinball from Stern, not necessarily from Jersey Jack or Planetary Pinball or American Pinball, and they can decide to make a I mean, game. I would, but and, I would I would argue there's less in The Hobbit than there was even in Lord of the Rings in terms of, like, mechanical magic. I don't disagree with that but once again i i sometimes it depends on how much effort and money they put into a specific area of the game you know and you know our work by by nature is not the most expensive obviously it's purely the ip fall based on the mechanical aspects of any type of design um it's interesting, the material costs of pinball, even though they have gone up by probably about 40% or so in the last 20 years, it still does not equate when you look at the pricing of the games. It just doesn't. I mean, we're when you're talking a $15,000 Avira, it's basically double plus, you know, two and a half times the cost of its production. Right. Two and a half times. Right, right. Well, and but, and people Chris, that can't figure that out or don't care, fine. But the inflationary factor of pinball is actually destructive at a certain point. Right. But, but we all know that the, 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 that $15,000 example was, was never meant to actually reflect the price point. They, all they needed was 51 rich dudes who yeah, wanted one. Yeah, and they one. probably already have that. Right. So. Right. I mean, it's Stern's smart. They understand that we have 50 of these that don't really have much in it over the LE. But all we need is like each of our distributors to call up their three richest buyers and be like, hey, I've got something for you. And, and it works. And it always yeah, works. They're survivors. Them. Stern is, is a survivor. We already know that. Right. I don't disagree. No one is going to disagree that Stern was a survivor when it came to the pricing game and development and industry. Now, do you think if you're Jersey Jack, are you looking at this whole thing with 
being frustrated that you're trying to put much more in and you're watching these guys just like no, I if I was if I was Jack I'd be Jack and Eric, I'd just be rolling my eyes just you know keep keep the path you know from his standpoint keep the path of what he caters to within the boutique market and stay where he is in terms of the way he develops his games because that's what makes his games unique Right, but you have to have that standout. You know, what are they known for? You know, what you know, what aspects do that wants a buyer to buy their games? Because once again, if 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 a company wants to survive, they have to sell between well, depending on how large they are, of course, based on their development costs, but they have to sell at least five hundred to a thousand games just to break even. Right. And if they don't sell that that game is as a failure. It's right. always historically been that way. I could give you hundreds of examples. Right. Well, let's talk about, we haven't even talked about Willy Wonka. I know you brought it up a, a few times already. So l- how do you feel about that game? I mean, that game is, well, <clears throat> okay. The initial coding of it was a week. Obviously the design aspects of it overall were butter smooth. I think the shot flow was extremely good. Right. I think the theme integration was extremely good. I think they did a fair job at integrating like scenes from the movie versus the, the modes. So it kind of made logical sense. I think as a collectible game and also as a player game on a route, I think it, it hit both markets. Now, the number of games that they physically sell based on their cost is a different matter. I can't tell you how successful ultimately it would be. I don't think it's going to unfortunately top Wizard of Oz, at least not in the near future. Right. I think it's because it's the theme abstract that causes a little bit of a distraction on that, similar to what happened with The Hobbit. Well, I, I've been outspokenly critical of the assets in the game. And mm-hmm. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are because, well, you know, it's I, a musical. You don't really hear the songs being sung. You don't really get the scenes the same way. You know, no, there's not the not synced sequence up. the same. Right. I think. I think honestly that they did. Uh, it, I can't type. I can't put myself in the designer's head right now and say, okay, this is the direct way they want to go because there's. It's kind of two lines of thought when it comes to the design of pinball machines. And you might find this interesting from the historical standpoint. One is to tell the story method, which you've talked about, I think, in the in the you know past podcasts of yours. So they, they tell that developing story from part A to part B to Z in a pinball machine, and you follow that story as as a as the player that is the you know overwatching god figure to you know move forward that's one way to do a design of the game and the other one is the what i call the pure action method action movie method we'll call it the arnold schwarzenegger method where you basically hit the player really hard with different modes and stuff that will excite somebody based on that pure adrenaline action thing and so it's quick it's fast and then it's over right right okay and the reason you do that is so you can connect with the player so they want to play it again, which i.e. goes back to the operational route of a game versus the story method, which it fits better for the standpoint of the home market. 
Do you, does that make sense? No, no, it, it does. And it's interesting because who would you say the market was for this game? Was it the home market or home was market. it? Absolutely the home market. It was not the routes. Not to say that it wouldn't work because new is new. And, you know, for example, in Portland, which remains the number one pinball capital of the world, regardless of anybody else's opinion, sorry, it is. When you're talking over a thousand games in a 25 square mile area, that's a lot of games, okay? And they're that's all routed. That doesn't even count private collectors. So, you know, they brought out, of course, a handful of Willy Wonkas out here, and they did pretty well. But in comparison to what they were designed for in Jersey Jack and Hulk, because remember, his complexity of his games causes problems with operators. Wizard of Oz right. was a great example. It was very complex, and it caused... The game was always down, unless it was in a location which it could be monitored. It had problems, right? But but when Pat Lawler was interviewed about the design of the game, he talked specifically about short ball times for operators and how he wanted it to be. Yeah, well, that's what he wanted because he wanted to bring. He's always been an advocate of bringing pinball to the masses to try to bring it back into its happy mode right. you know it's it, it the, the golden age and that's been his you know theme personally in regards to the development for the industry for over 20 years but that doesn't make it reality right so is he but is he misguided then and who he's no trying... i think his i think his methodology is fine but regardless of whether or not what he wants it doesn't mean that's what the industry and what the development of where it is today because it doesn't work right you want to cater to the home market, obviously, more than 50% of the time because you don't have a bunch of Portland, Oregon's out here with thousands of games that you can pump quarters into. Right. Now, so, what do you, yeah, no, I mean, it, it look, it's it makes sense. I, I do think that, you know, where Jack struggles a little bit is, is when it comes to the collectability side, right? Because he says... Yeah. We're going to make 5,000 LEs, right? That's not limited on, on any level. No, he, he's, he just asked once again, he has to sell X number of games. He'll do it any way he can, even if it's artificial. Right. Do you think Stern does a better job at creating yes. the hype and getting those limited games into homes before people even like see the game? Played? Well, I, I think in general that, that Stern does one thing that's the, that is the standout, which sets the precedence, which is rapidity of production okay because right. when it comes to pinball if you want to if you want to you know connect on the hype and and profit from it that means you got to get the games out the door as absolutely fast as possible in order to get those dollars because you it, i mean i hate to say it but the hype lead time on a pinball machine is usually less than three months yeah. after three months of a game being released regardless of what games are behind it in development or from other companies or based on what's available in the surrounding period at the same time, that's what you have. And once you pass that quarter, you know, that quarter season within that year, your sales will just drop like a rock into a pool. Right. So you have to do it quickly and you have to do it fast which, of course, leads into some quality control issues at time, which I think was another one of your questions. 
So let, let me ask you a question. If I gave you a million dollars, Chris, and I said, pick the pinball company you want to invest with for a return, who, who are you investing in? I don't know. Would I, would, would I be wrong if I said Deep Root and see what happens? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, well, they're spending millions. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. But if you had to pick between Stern and Jersey Jack, is it is it a tough decision? Oh, can I reinvest in highway pinball and bring it back <laughs> to the dead? Oh my God. Get on the hydrofoil. <laughs> I know. Like, well, might as well just give it to Dutch pinball, right? It's actually, I wouldn't invest in either one of those. You know who I would invest in? Who? Rick Bartlett with planetary pinball. Oh my God. Because honestly, based on the availability of license and IPs that he has, he can make as many or as few games as he wants, and he'll always make profit. So is Planetary Pinball, but that's not Chicago. Is that CGC or no? Is that a separate? That is, Planetary Pinball is the licensee IP owner. Okay. Chicago, CGC is the is the production facility. Okay, but, it, but, but it's all the same the, unit. No, negative, okay? Planetary Pinball and CGC are not one and the same. They are connected based on general mutual interests. Everything that Planetary Pinball does is then basically sent as the production facility of CGC after the design and everything is completed. Okay. Okay. Basically, they send them the order and say, this is what we want you to build. Because they're experienced in building more than just pinball machines. CGC, obviously, if you're anybody that's familiar as an operator, will know that they sell other types of arcade equipment as well. So, you know, they are not pinball. They are arcade, coin-op, okay? Planetary pinball is pinball only. They're the in-house, though. They, they're the ones that figure out how they're going to, which game they're going to buy, or sorry, which game they're going to build, how they're going to design it, what they're going to use, right. technology, industry, and so on, and then they move forward to CGC. How, how do you feel about the remakes? Well, once again, a remake is a remake, an original is original. I asked the question to somebody else today. I said, would you rather own an original Ford Mustang, or would you want a remake Ford Mustang? Basically, one probably that has fuel injection and the other that has a carburetor <laughs> okay right the answer is if it's just to drive the damn car it doesn't matter right but are, but but are you impressed by the, the the screen and the new dots and all the new lights and everything i no. mean no no that's not what i'm impressed with what i'm impressed with is their ability to take the ip and create create the game so the gameplay is nearly identical to the original game with new technology, which I don't have a problem with as long as people recognize that it isn't an original game. Back in the early 2000s, I'm going to tell you a little quick story that, that your listeners will enjoy. Okay, Now you may be aware that over the past history in pinball, there have been people that have taken games and built their own pinball machines. We're not talking about homebrews. We're talking about recreating a Bally Williams pinball game. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Right. Okay. It, medieval madnesses have been built. Attack from Mars have been built. 
and monster bashes have actually been built at a time when unavailability was, you know, unavailable because each one of those games had low production values. Well, back in the early 2000s, I had an offer to buy a monster bash and the guy wanted about $5,000. This was back in like 2002. So that, that was pretty high. And this thing looked really cherry. And I said, well, where did you get it? I said, did it come out of a box, new in box? He says, no, I got it from another collector that had it, you know, back in the early Bally Williams days. I said, sure, let me go take a look at it. So I went over to his house and lo and behold, it was a fraud. It was actually somebody that had built one out of spare parts, which was unheard of back then. That's a lot of part. That's a lot of spare parts, though. How do you? Oh my you, God! It was almost impossible back then. You couldn't get the spare parts. The person that had built it did an amazing job at hoarding parts and had built it out of another cabinet, which was unheard of back like, then. People hadn't done that. Yeah, that's like better than new, though. You had like it was better than new. Unfortunately, it was not a Bally Williams game. The serial number it, serial numbers were bogus. It didn't have the licensee on it. So I said, look, no matter what you paid for it, no matter how nice it is, it's still not an original game. So if that's important to you as a collector, then you can't buy those kind of things. Well, Chris, do you think if you're most modern games, collectors do you think most modern collectors care about that now? Some do. Some do, some don't. I do. Right, but you're, you're you you come from the old school, right? You must true, look, but I don't have a problem with remakes. I'll play them all day long. I thought about buying a Monster Bash. I thought about buying an Attack from Mars. Why? Because all things aside, I'm not trying to fake that it's an original game. I just enjoy that it was a new game. That's right, all. Right. Okay. Here, once again, as long as you're buying it for the right reason, but never try to. I've seen people that have tried to pass off remakes as original games which is not true. If you're looking for the licensee and the proper thing as a collector, it makes a difference. That's all. All right. So since you, you, you know, this hobby for many, many years and, and a topic that we, <laughs> we've been covering recently on the show is, is the clear coat issues. Yeah. Are, you're talking about the puddling and stuff the, the, like the that. Pooling, the puddling, yeah. the cracking, the, 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 you know, the posts that are, sort of sinking yep. into the into the clear coat. What what are your thoughts on this whole thing? I mean, you've seen games for decades yes. now. Like what well, what's I, I happening? Well, I watch changes in of industry and how they've applied clear coats because we're talking about all the way back starting from around 1989-1990 just around Funhouse period. And here's the here's the bottom line when it comes to clear coats. One the clear coating process that is used today and the materials are not the same. They, the EPA back in the early 2000s went batshit crazy with using people that use the solvent methods that weren't water-based, okay, which is predominantly what they're used today. The other factor that is causing problems with modern games is the speed at to which they are being produced. Once again, we talked about how it's important to get the games built and out the door as fast as possible. The days of prepping the play fields and having them cure for more than 60 to 90 days is over. So what's happening is these water-based clear coats, which are not as quite as durable, coupled with the fact that 
owners have been compl- were complaining that they wanted shinier clear coats, you know, that, that they can see that are like glass, resulted, of course, in thicker clear coats that were required to be applied. So right. coupled with that, along with the fact that the cure times for the clear coats are normally less than 30 days before the installation of the actual playfield into a game, has resulted in softer clear coats that are obviously eat more easily dimpled, um, sometimes have imperfections because th- there's not that they're cutting corners. It's the fact that they are being forced to make those choices to move forward to get the game going versus just putting the playfields on a rack to dry for more than two to three months, which they sometimes can't afford to do. Now, I think other companies can do that. And I think if you remember many, 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 many years ago, when I did the interview about Big Bang Bar, I talked about Gene Cuttingham and what he did for his Big Bang Bar playfields that got fucked up. And he took them back, had them resanded, and reapplied them again, which you would never see today, which, of course, added to the cost and overall loss of what he did anyway. But the point I'm making is that this, these choices that are being made in industry have resulted in the end product being the way it is today. So are, are current customers buying games with what you believe are play fields that are, are far less superior than they used They're to be? Inferior. They, inferior. They, it's inferior wood because the wood is younger when it is cut and put in the blanks, inferior clear coats due to the fact that they're water-based versus solvent-based, improper length of curing times. If I was a new collector, the only solution that you can have to improve matters, barring the fact that the EPA is not going to lift some of their sanctions based on materials used, is to simply not buy the games until they fix the shit. Right, and what? they have played this game with with Stern and all the companies for years. But you know what? Every company has problems to a certain extent. So what's the fix? If you're the, if you're these guys and you got to get the games out the door, and you've got you know you got people throwing fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, out if you, you wait too long, them. you lose the sale. That's, yeah, so that's... what's what's the solution? Solution for the who? The buyer or the solution for the? For the manufacturer. So clearly we're seeing on the part of the customer that they don't even, they're not even demanding a fix. And they're, and they, they went all in. Oh, they're accepting that set, that level of acceptance that was untolerated in the past. Operators, when the game, when games were primarily targeted to operators, there was a certain, a certain threshold of what I consider to be acceptability in terms of game design and durability. But operators are more concerned about making sure the game continued to work in terms of its durability than its physical cosmetic aspects. Now, the interesting thing is when you look at the home market, it's completely opposite. Right. <laughs> so it, it, uh, my recommendation to private owners is don't, don't rush to be buying the next new game. Let it, you have to let things settle a little bit. I'm not saying wait until it goes on closeout. That's opposite, complete opposite. But 
the 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 problem that we face right now is like i said is there's a certain measure of acceptance in regards to manufacturers of cutting corners based on time and the new buyers simply accept it right but also, i don't but but I also refuse. what chris what do you say to you know jersey jack saw this problem happening on pirates of the caribbean and and it wasn't solved by the time willy wonka went on the line do you also feel there's some responsibility by these manufacturers? Absolutely. If you have examples that are, if if a game is shipped with an inferior playfield that has significant flaws, the then a manufacturer has an obligation to replace it. But how do they how do they afford that? Right? If you have a thousand, they have to eat the cost, just like they did when the manufacturers were servicing for operators. If something was dicked up that bad, Bally and Williams ate the cost. They didn't right. like to, but they accepted the responsibility. Now, granted, the difference is, is they were selling more games. But you can't abdicate your responsibility because you decide to send a substandard play field with a game. That's stupid. So do okay? you... Chris, do you think that sending someone an unpopulated playfield is... Oh, that's not going to work. You know that. But that's what they're doing. So yeah, Well, the thing is, that's that's like somebody that's trying to... You know, it's like... I'm trying to think. It's compared to, like, the video game technology. It's like somebody trying to give them virtual dollars or some stupid shit. I mean, nobody in their right mind... I mean, I'm talking about it from the standpoint of a guy that restores games. <laughs> you know... The amount of work it takes to re, you know, to do a playfield swap is not something the average homeowner collector today is capable of doing. It's, it's not, not even it's not even what most pinball techs can do. You know, I mean, the, it's, the, the, well, true. And the biggest problem today is once again due to the shortcutting of the way that they do wiring. Everything this these modular nature makes it actually harder to do swaps with modern games than it did by the early solid state or late model solids. Right. So I, solder been, I had been telling people that I wouldn't buy anything until we actually got some official confirmation from manufacturers on what a, what the problem was B, what the solution would be moving forward. We're not going to, it sounds like we're not going to get it from anybody. I know Jersey. Well, I, if I was a, if I was a, a person who was a hardcore collector buying new games on a regular basis, I sure as shit you better have some operator friends because they can give you the inside poop of what issues are going on. They will know, and that way you don't have to eat costs when you get a lemon. Like a, like it's like buying a car. Would you buy a, a new car without doing any research? I, right. I guess some people do, but does, I don't do that either. Well, so. Does it frustrate you to see what we just saw with Elvira and how fast it sold without? No, it used to, but now it doesn't bother me at all. Because remember, I don't deal with drama, so I just stepped out of the pinball right. world. <laughs> would Would you say it's it's to your uh, benefit and your to be happier in the pinball hobby is to sort of remove yourself from the new and box sort of frenzied absolutely. Actually, the, the, once you get off that tr that train and stop worrying about trying to hoard those new in-box games in your house, in your closet, because you want to uh, afford your child's college education with the benefits of the investment or some stupid shit like that, which I've 
heard over various times in the last 30 years, you're a much happier person because once again, you're doing it for the right reasons. You're in it for the enjoyment of the hobby. Now, the, you're more worried about things when you run out of space versus running out of money. Right. <laughs> and and honestly, it, you know, it's like where I am today. I haven't bought any games in probably about a year or so. And, and the reason being is I'm absolutely happy. At this point in my life, I've owned pretty much every game I've ever wanted. So why, why get in, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, in the last two years, though, what, what do you think is the best game in the last two years? In oh, your come opinion. On, it, that's a, I mean, what, the best selling or new, the? No, new game of the last couple of years. We've, well, you caught me off guard. I'm not actually sure. All right. Well, <laughs> give me a bunch of options. All right. We got Munsters. We've nope. got Star Wars. Nope. We've got Batman 66. Hell no. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, off the plate. Got Iron Maiden. You got Deadpool. That one? Okay. All right. Now, I wouldn't say it would be number one per se, but it was definitely up there. Pirates Take of the Caribbean. The design and, nah. Oktoberfest. Absolutely not. Willy Wonka. I like, I mean, personally, I mean, even though Dialed In was kind of a, eh, you know, in terms of the overall collector opportunities, I think as a game, it had a lot of potential that was unfortunately kind of hit or miss at certain points, even though the technology and the development and the gameplay was solid. I think probably the, the last, the top four probably were Iron Maiden taking an original design from a you know, a personal, private, you know, homebrew theme and turning into a real game, which which worked and was well integrated. Artwork, package, sound, theme, you know, the whole nine. Right. And that's one. I think Willy Wonka hit the nail ahead with integration of theme overall, even though there were some weaknesses in code. I think Dialed In hit the nail in the head with gameplay, but unfortunately was abstract in its theme, which didn't count. And... Well, I mean, I'm not going to count any remakes because remakes are remakes. Right. You know, you can't. That's not an original game, so you really can't put it in the same level of pool. And there was one other game I'm trying to think in the last. <sighs> Iron Maiden. De Deadpool. Beatles. No. 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 <laughs> Primus. No, Team, no. Pinball, Team Pinball's The Mafia or Suncoast Pinball's. Yeah. They would <laughs> like seven games or something. Yeah. Uh, well. I, Chris, let me ask you a question. So, I, yeah. Deep Root, the five days of Deep Root, right? Been delayed by a two year. years. <laughs> what, knowing the landscape right now, what do you think their opportunity is to come in now? Have they waited too long? Do you nah, still... they, they're they've been biding their time accordingly. They'll they'll jump into the market when they feel the time is right. They have that flexibility. From even though they're they're going to spend continue to spend oodles and oodles of money. You know, keeping people on and doing a development cycle and so on and so on. But they've got deep pockets because that's why they're called Deep Root. And they will hit the they will hit the market when they feel the timing is right. If there's a if there's kind of a a desert and and they need to become the oasis, they will do so. So uh, wouldn't the right time to hit it be when everyone is kind of anxious about quality control issues with the major manufacturers that is a consideration the other one that they sh they would do is if there's a lull in game development or release cycles but there never like is it, one now it feels like 
doesn't seem like it. That's absolutely true because Stern has to keep the engine running. Um, I think overall, I think, like I said, they will position themselves based on what they know, based on release dates of games. And then they will try to capitalize when the opportunity arises. But they know that that first title that they develop for release, or sorry, when they release that, say, okay, it's, you know, it's, it's here, it's coming out, they got to do well because that will make and define themselves for the future. That's the way it works today. All right. And in, in, in terms of what you're looking for from them, are you, what, what, what are the things you hope to see in, from deeper? I am in? looking, I'm looking for them to take a theme. We're going to I mean, I'm not, whatever the speculation based things that have changed based on choices where I'm not going to get into, I'm looking for them to be two things. One, break the mold and have some form of innovation that has not been seen in pinball before. That's number one. Two, make sure that the games are remain af- more affordable in comparison to where the, the industry has gone in the last five years. Right. means they, they should be cheaper. Somehow, with, but how can you do both? How can you innovate and go cheaper? Oh, the innovation and cost from that stand that being innovative and creative doesn't mean excessive cost. No, no, they don't, they're not, it's not one in the same. It's the amount of features may increase the cost of a game, but not innovation being creative, right? Absolutely, no, but isn't it, isn't it, but Chris, isn't it unfortunate that we're the where the price currently is with these games and the lack of features, like, doesn't that make it hard for a company like Deep Root? Because they're like, wait a minute, like Stern's bomb is probably around $3,000 and they're selling Depends these things the game, for nine grand. Once again, they, they, I don't know what their, their comparison of their production costs will be in comparison to Stern based on their facilities that they were developing. I don't know. But I know if they if they can keep a machine that costs in the same realm as a Stern Pro, but have more features and make it full featured, then they've got a winner. But then isn't the challenge this? So if you do that, like let's say Deep Root has like fully featured games for five to six thousand, right? Which is a fair price. Well, I mean that's what the remakes right. go for. But then there's no appeal featured. to the collector. Why would it not have any appeal to the collector if it was fully featured at a price that was fair? Because if we look at what collectors want, and they, they, they want, want limited edition, limit, not right, limited like bullshit. You don't think bullshit. so? Bullshit. There, there are plenty of collectors out there did not go for the limited edition Tack from Mars remake. But are they there collectors or just buyers? The standard edition. I guess, I guess. I guess it's an interesting debate are those collectors or just buyers of new inbox are you a collector if you just buy a new inbox for your home well everybody i that question came up recently by somebody else today what quantifies a pinball collector you asked me that question the first interview we had like four years ago the answer is if you own a game you're a collector are you but i feel like a collector a collector wants something I don't know because I like because okay so let me let me not, let me, not in a pure sense I mean not in the hardcore well, sense there's a, but there's a reason why Jersey Jack calls his most expensive game 
the collector's edition. Well, of course he does. It's hype. <laughs> do you think he's going to so sell? Increase the cost. Do you think he waited too long to sell five hundred Willy Wonka collector's editions at twelve yes. five? Once again, the for, well, the when it comes to games, as long as you're prepared to produce them, which is the key word, it the first people that should get their games, in my opinion, for any company, even though I know this doesn't apply for Stern because they're still trying to provide games for operators is it should go to the collectors. They're right. the ones that should get their games first. They're the ones that should get their special. If you're going to make a small number run, those people get their games first and then the rest. That's the priority of you getting to the front of the line. Right. Now, that's not necessarily what happens because, once again, Stern doesn't do that. But they do it for a smart reason. <laughs> They're but trying Stern... to get the bugs out of their freaking game. Yeah, but, but so Stern... by the time they get the collector's edition, they don't piss off the high-end no. buyer. No. No, but Stern does it smart. So Stern does pro and then Ellie immediately. So, exactly. And there's a reason for that because right. usually the game isn't ready to fucking be built <laughs> or is completed. Right, right. Are there – okay, so right now, are you just 100% on the sidelines, no new in-box purchases? If – no, there are some exceptions. What? 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 What are the exceptions? The only ex there's only two exceptions to the pinball rule, which would allow me to get into buying a new inbox game, other than what I mentioned with the remakes of either Attack from Mars or Monster Bash. Which, by the way, I would only be buying the standard edition because I don't feel the other ones are necessary. That's not why I'm buying the game. I don't need the big screen or the fancy topper, and that is if. Planetary Pinball and CGC brought out Big Bang Bar, I would buy one. It's yeah. happening. They already announced they're going to do it. Uh, well, I, I haven't seen the game yet, so until I see it in a box, I'm not saying it's going to happen. What, what about that? So that game, out of all the titles, I would buy it. they've New mentioned Theater of Magic. They've mentioned... Um, yep. Oh, a bunch of them. But yeah. we all know that it's probably going to be Cactus Canyon that they're going to produce next. So right. I'm not interested in that. Why not? Because I, it's an overhyped game. Anybody that's played the original and or the remade code with Cactus Canyon Expanded knows that the game design was weak. The, the layout was weak or the coding? Uh, it would, overall, I, the game itself was kind of lackluster. Didn't hit the nail on the head with all the features. Not that it was a bad, bad game, but it reminds me a lot in some ways of what I consider to be a theater of magic. Oh, so you it's don't. Got a lot, it's got a lot of pizzazz, but it doesn't have a lot of good depth, in my opinion. That's why they had Cactus Canyon expanded to try to fix not just the bugs, but to finish the game because the code was incomplete. But people would argue, yeah, I mean, the code was obviously incomplete because it, it, it didn't. It, it just like, stopped. I mean, it, you literally got yeah. to a point you couldn't play anymore. Right. But, but imagine Lyman Sheets or like Keith coding theater of magic like is because that's always what i'm advocating for like lots of mechs and toys but with deep code that makes you want to own the game for a long time well that that's the challenge you have to make a game medieval madness is the best example of that you have to make a game that is approachable to the easy simple to player that wants to bat the ball around and then you got to tailor fit it to a player that wants to come back and try to beat it right. that's the challenge Once and you... it, it's a it's it's a balancing act. Yeah. It's tough. It, once you, you need beat somebody a game, that's got talent. Do you get bored once you beat a game? Nope, because that's the reason why I still have pinball machines in my house after 30 years. 
Why would I, if that was the case I, and I beat a game like, you know, somebody that plays a video game today for trophies, then I guess I would sell all my games. The answer is every game, if it's good enough, will keep you coming back for just one more game, even if it's just periodic. Right. That's How, the that's the hallmark of a good design, Chris. Right. How much longer do you think this hobby has with all these companies? Do you think it's going to consolidate next year, or do you think? No, I think it's going to meander on for about the next five to ten years, based on the current market, because it's still strong. And then eventually it will peter out. Within you know twenty years, we're still. I still believe that the world of pinball will be pretty much dead. I think it'll be relegated. And to, most of us along with it. <laughs> well, maybe not necessarily, but I do, I kind of chuckle because like in my area, for example, there's only about a half a dozen people that like really know how to fix EMs. Now I'm taught not and I'm talking in the Portland region, not Seattle and other parts of the United States, but you know, it, in 20 years, all of us will be dead. So who's going to take care of these games? You know, and the same thing applies to, you know, all pinball in general. I think any game that's, you know, more than 20 years old, it has definitely started to show its age. Right. And, and you know, that's only going to get worse with the fact that most of the modern games that are developed and released today are throwaway disposable technology. Right. So, you know, where, where's pinball going to be? I think it's going to be pretty much relegated to people's basements. And it's a nice thought. But, you know, the rest of the world doesn't revolve around areas like Portland. Right, right. Too many arcades and so on. So, Were you surprised to see Dutch Pinball back again? Yes, I was. I thought that they had left for good. I thought that, that whole AMA thing was pretty shocking that they managed to... A-R-A. Well, well, we all know why they did what they did. You know, they were they had debts to pay. And they needed to figure out another scheme to maybe get their ass out of jail, per se, based on the litigation of their, you know, criminal proceedings of not paying their bills. So I think that it was wrong for them to sell the last, what, 40 games to people basically that had the money. I was one of them. Yeah, well, I, I knew that you were entered it, but I didn't think you would actually receive. Had you re- have you received the game, or you just put your money down? No, I got I got it. I don't. I mean, oh, you I don't, did. It's at cool. it's at Coin Taker right now. Okay. Now, do you, you gonna box what, it, or are you gonna do like what like the, the I don't know that are gonna hide it in their box for the next twenty years? Yeah, I you know I'm still trying to figure out what to do with it. I had a plan that um, I'm still considering. I'll, I'll more to come on that. More pe- people are Wait, speculating. here's the thing to think about with that. If you fall into the collector trap of saying, well, I, I, I can't afford to take it out of the box because then it will lose its value, then you have, you've not got off the hype of the new in-box train. It, people, people that don't open games and play, that's why games were designed to be built and pl- they're, pl- I, they're supposed I, to be played. Absolutely. Okay? I, dro- I in a box. I play my games. I drive my cars. I sleep with my women. You know, it's like I, that's how you're supposed to live life. So, I, you know, my whole thing is this. It's it's just that, you know, I'm just I only have room for two pinball machines at most. And, Absolutely. And that, that makes it tricky. I get it. Yeah. So, I mean, like and I also said this, I'm not flipping this game for a profit. I, I think that's despicable. I think it's I like wrong. 
it's just wrong. Like this, this, this game was stolen from somebody. There, there's no way around that. Um, and I also think Barry. You are not an early achiever, but you became one with money. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I when I hear Barry's newsletter, you get a rug, by the way. Yeah, you get a rug. rug. Um, Check. Barry, do you think they're going to pull this off, though, this like Ponzi scheme, like economic plan to get the I don't EAs? think it's a – well, it's not a Ponzi scheme. It's just an outright what I consider to be a black hand method of making some extra money to try to you know offset some of their expenses and where they're standing in their life today. I don't think they're making anybody whole or right. They're not going to make any more friends based on their choices. I mean, they're clearly not going to be making any future games. If they are, people are absolutely retarded, stupid to get involved with them. But, yeah, you know what? But but that's, but that's exactly that what he's promising. Stupid. He, he's can't saying, teach a rock how to swim. But he's saying he's going to try to make four to 500 more at 12.5, and then if he can do that, he will get how? only cheap. I, I mean, how? I, I mean, I'm, look, I, that is the— Where, Where's the— Where's the money, Lebowski? Here we go again. Well, but like, but he, he can't he can't do it with any. He does not going to have any measure of profit enough to reinvest to make any more new games. And any, I wouldn't get involved with this guy with a contract with a ten foot pole. I mean, we all know it was I mean, people that got involved initially early. If you go way back to when the, this whole st- stupidity started, we're talking about when they originally promised yeah, the two thousand four. Right, way back. I mean, we're talking way back. You know, people. It was sorry, 2014. I, I yeah, it was it was a different time. People five years were more ago. trustworthy of new opportunities of boutique companies. Where today they're a little more skittish. But if people don't want to learn the lessons of history, because we know that history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes, a la Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. Fine. Lose your money a second time. Right, right. Well, look, no one's going to pre-order or give him money. I guess the question is, can he line up an investor for the company? Because he can show people there is demand for this game, but I mean, it's a couple million bucks he's going to need. I don't know who in Europe that's a pinball fanatic that wants to invest millions of dollars with him like equivalency of Jack Canary, but if he finds somebody... That's foolish enough to be willing to throw away their capital based on this development of this or redevelopment of this game. Great, but it wouldn't be me. Right. I mean, anybody that if you're doing it from a pure profit standpoint and you're an investor, that that would be incredibly stupid because you're looking at it from a niche industry anyway, and it just isn't profitable. Right. We all know how hard it is to develop and, and release games on a regular schedule and make money from it anyway. Absolutely. That's why we talk about pinball on your show. That's why there's <laughs> drama, okay? Because it's difficult. Yeah. No, I. you know, people always ask me, like, how do you do 400 episodes? I'm like, just follow just this hobby for a news. month and it's you'll understand. Yeah, you'll understand. People it's- develop their own drama. They don't, It doesn't require any effort. No, no. Well, Chris, what what advice would you give people now in 2019 that are into this hobby? I would look to the past and enjoy pinball for what it is based on where it has come from 
with games that are more reasonable and stop looking at new titles. If you want to play new titles, go to the arcades, find some place, hopefully contact. If you've got a local operators, you might be surprised. You find out that some local operator actually does operate a few pinball machines and you can try them out that way or go find other collectors and go to their houses and enjoy their games because the amount of money that, that people can spend on this hobby is absurd. And I'm talking about it from a guy that's probably spent over half a million dollars in 30 years on pinball machines. Okay. So I'm not a hypocrite. I'm trying to give credence and credibility from the standpoint of don't make, I'm not, I didn't make any necessary mistakes because we're talking about, you know, hundreds of games, not 30 games. Right. Do you <laughs> think, do you, do you think the games today, in your honest opinion, are as good as they were in the Bally Williams days? No, because they're not as durable. They're not as... The one thing is that durability of pinball isn't there. I think that the the themes and their integration is not as long-lasting, with a few exceptions. I think overall, I, it just as well, I call it the memorable factor. Games just simply aren't as memorable as they are from the past. We're... Because anybody that, that, why do people play pinball? Nostalgia. That's why they do it. It's a nostalgic thing. So when you talk to somebody that has actually played pinball, which of course today is becoming more and more rare, they're going to repeat and say, well, I remember X game when I was a kid. Well, today you don't get that same feeling. So right. if that's the case, then it's a pretty logical step in terms of, looking at it that clearly the games aren't as good as they were from the past. Right. They just aren't. When when you see the trunk in Elvira open up the new game, mm -hmm. that's not how a trunk opens up. Nope. <laughs> what is with that? Well, simply looks, put, that was the design limitation based on the way that they ended up having to implement it in order for the mechanism to physically work. I haven't seen anyone talk about that. A trunk opens up like the way it does it or, or the way it should have. It reminded me of pinball magic, but pinball magic's trunk didn't actually open it. Just the ball fell into it, you know, right, or just, right. you know, he went into his habit trail that just kind of fed it into the trunk. So the ball disappeared. But once again, it, it I'm not here to be overly critical. I didn't like said, you heard my opinion of Vira. I didn't particularly, I thought it was disappointing only because of what they could have done and what they ended up doing did they show it too early like why they show it nah, no i think that they showed it at the right time based on what they had available because they, they were at that threshold where what you talked about earlier they say we've got to we've got to make hype we've got to get ready to make sales we've got to do this but, build what, but this jurassic park just work. came out why, why did they have to get it on the line so quickly with code so incomplete because once again stern realizes that the, the hype train is so damn short Right. That, in fact, it's gotten shorter, not better, over the last five years because of the number of games. Now, unfortunately, it's some of it of a perpetual cycle that was caused by Stern themselves. The more games that they develop on a short cycle increased, or uh, sorry, decreased the hype train time, which then required them to to continue to accelerate to build more games even faster. It actually hurt them. Right. <laughs> They're like I said, but that, but, but the money's just going to them, right? They're cannibalizing 
the hype of another game, but the money's still heading into Stern's bank. Pockets. Well, as long as they keep a thresh, what they call the threshold of minimum production numbers going, they don't care. Right. Just remember the caveat, though, for all those wonderful new collectors that like to buy new games is remember Stern's policy when it comes to spare parts. Five years or less. Right. Do you like Stern Pinball? I have nothing. I have no problems with Stern. I just don't like Spike. And Why you know what? Because it's because it's, it's, it's because it's disposable technology. Right. That may so, regardless of whatever they want to say, regardless of whether or not they've actually started to release schematics and stuff, even though it took five years. Okay. It's disposable technology, and many of the node boards and parts are unrepairable. I don't care what people say. If you have a hot air station and the proper experience in order to do the solder work, doesn't matter. It's still throwaway technology. Ask any operator. They're not going to sit down on the workbench and fix the shit. If you send it back to Stern, they don't fix the boards either. They just toss them. Because they cost like 20, 30 bucks, and then they charge you 150, which is five times the amount for the same board. Do you think, like, for what people pay, they should just get like a backup set with. They have to. If you want to keep that game for more than 10 years, you sure as shit should be buying spare parts for that game. And most people are not. No, because they don't plan to keep it for, they don't think about it from the, no, like it goes back to what we said. Are they a collector that's thinking about that they're going to keep this game for 20, 20 years later? Of course not, because the collectors today that have been involved, most of them have been in the hobby for more than five to 10 years. Right. So why would they worry about that shit? They just, their philosophy is once I get bored of the game, I'm just going to freaking sell it. Right. As long as I can They're get not rid of it, try well, to repair it because they don't know how to repair it. Even if they could repair it based on the technology, they wouldn't because they have no experience or in, or intuition or drive to do so. Right. So why would they do it? Chris. Once again, they're catering to Stern is catering to the current collector. They're not catering to a person like me that says, "Hmm, let me think about this logically. Can I fix the game if it goes down?" Yeah. Well, they're very they're very smart. They understand they Absolutely. have. Absolutely, I'm not going to criticize them because they know their market. No, they that's, know they know good... how to make games. I believe they don't look. Out of all the companies out there, though, Stern Games in the present day are the most reliable, the yes, most immediately Overall. fun, and by far the best themes in pinball. And they know what they're doing. And and I, I mechanically. I think the games leave a lot to be desired. Which was purposeful, though. Remember, Absolutely, they when they wanna, do they the design of the game, their number one philosophy when they started to make pinball in 2001 was make, well, the original philosophy was make a game that was affordable for operators, that was easy to maintain, and was simple to operate. Right. Now, since that time, it hasn't quite, you know, stayed that path, but their philosophy of trying to make mechanisms. And I mean, I can think of some design mechanisms in pinball that are incredibly complicated and had to be extremely precise when they were machined. A good example, I'm just to throw it out for the masses, for those that may or may not have played it. That isn't from the necessarily modern solid state era is Bally's nip it with the balligator. The assembly that it's a it's a freeway cam that operates on a single coil 
And when it shoots out, it shoots up, over, and then back. And the precise engineering required to do that was right. miraculous. I, but I that's just, not just, I, that's I, just a basic example. I, I can see 2,500 Canada Pinball Podcast listeners Googling that right now to see what we're what, what you're talking about. But well, I mean, you can look at other things. Like, let's let's look at modern games. How about Circus Voltaire with the Ringmaster? Yeah, no, it's... think about all the problems that came out with that game when it was first released and how to be fixed. But the amazing amount of engineering required to try to get everything to work right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I was playing a theater of magic the other day, and I was I was just blown away by the trunk and all the different things it does. The engineers and... are great. They, they they have, but they remember they only can work within the limits of what they have. And if they get rushed and say we need this thing to be ready to go in the next three to four weeks, holy crap! Talk right. about uh, talk about a rush job. Right. I mean, sometimes they have to, you know, retrofit and fix stuff, but it's pretty amazing in some ways to see how far and how much they can do in such a short amount of time. Right. But it's also like, I mean, we talk about it and then I know we're, we're up on the hour right now. Yep. We talk about it, but it's like back then the games were in arcades and they had to steal people's attention away. And they had to be reliable, though. They had to yeah. be reliable enough that they uh, weren't absolutely. going down every hour. But, you you know, when you were going up against Donkey Kong and Street Fighter and all these things, you know, they, they made games that the ball did something magical. And I keep saying that over and over on the show. I I'm like, that's, good. that's a good description. Well, you I look at you. You look at all these modern games and I think you could go over the last five years down most games and say, what is the one magical thing the ball does and you would come up short on about 80 percent of games with anything that's actually that special that's why i think it's funny when when you think about games that are memorable you know you think of games like funhouse or roadshow with the pin motion where the, you know the talking heads mm -hmm. and how they did that it's pretty remarkable now it's been it was, you know, it's been copied in various variations as recently as, you know, games like Stern Sopranos or The Hobbit or whatever. But all those examples after that were inferior. Yeah. No, the, it's, the, it's, the sequencing of the jaw with the, with the motor and the drive gears was incredible how well they were able to get everything synced out. Right. And, and you know, there's no escaping the fact that that game was probably 2500 bucks new in box. Oh, yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming back on. We're going to get you on more often. I, I sort of have been on if, like... If you feel there is a topic at hand there, that people just want to know. Yeah, no, you know? There, there always will be. Um, no, it's been great having you back. Um, I'm so happy to hear your opinions on what's been going on in the hobby. It's been way too long. Um, so we will definitely do this again soon, sooner than later. We won't let hey, ourselves go. Yeah, hopefully your listeners enjoy a, a perspective, what I call the voice of common sense and reason <laughs> in pinball. Because I just, I just, like I said, I'm not criticizing people for spending money. I just, I just believe that you should get that bang for the buck. And and you know, and I think a lot of people that they, if they took more than five seconds or looking at you know jack danger's videos and making a decision on a new game i think there's more to there's just so much more to pinball 
Right. I, I had there's a couple. I literally, I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody that I talked to today that was like I said I hadn't talked to pinball about pinball in over a year. He says I learned more in talking to you with 15 minutes than I've learned in the pinball hobby in five years. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that was kind of a compliment to me. And I was like, well, you know, thank you. I didn't waste my breath, which includes this podcast. Yeah, well, you need to tell that guy. Great. That guy, if that guy would just listen to Canadian Pinball Podcast, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be in that situation. But Chris, <laughs> yeah, thank but you so much. Not, I appreciate it. Not into it. drama either, Chris. <laughs> no, no drama on this show. This is nothing but this is nothing but you know just a casual pinball chat. Um, no, but buddy, thank you so much for coming back on, and we'll we'll no do it soon. I hope it was useful. Always. Here, guys. All right. Yeah. This is the world we live in. Terrible dream. I am parched. That's better. I could use another one of those. <laughs>